Hi, I'm Connor Fowler. And I'm Matt Smith. Welcome to Apocalypse Duds. Today, we are joined by the radiant Brett White, a.k.a. Barb Hardley, pop culture journalist and senior reporter slash producer for Decider.com, host of the must-have seen TV podcast, curator of unlikely menswear icons, and more. Happy Ash Wednesday to you, Brett. The, hello. Yeah, this is the thing that uh, clued me in that it's Ash Wednesday. Yeah, right. same. <laughs> yeah, I heard this morning and I was like, this is going in the show. Because it's always <laughs> uh, it's always like you need to brace yourself. Well, back whenever, you know, New York City, when we would like actually leave our houses and whatnot, because it would always just be like, oh, my God, why is everyone covered in soot today? Like it was because <laughs> I'm also I'm from Tennessee and I always tell uh, Yankees that it's like uh we don't have many like catholics and we don't have any jewish people basically like yeah. that was it's so, like, coming Atlanta. coming to new york and finding out that everyone is catholic i was like what is this <laughs> <laughs> this is wild yeah, yeah. I, I remember when i lived in new york i would be like on the subway on the way to work you know ash wednesday at like noon because the store opened at twelve thirty, and i would just be like for the first little while i was like why does everyone have like a soot dot on their head? Yeah. I do not understand this. And then I realized, but, but like, I'm not religious. Like, yeah, I, I know, I know some about Catholicism, but I was like, Oh, this is, this is weird. Yeah. Everything I learned about Catholicism, I learned from my husband who was, raised, <laughs> who was raised Catholic. Oh, yeah. very much not nice. anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's, Catholic. it spreads in many different ways. Doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. I was raised Baptist, and like this one dude that I worked with years ago, uh, who was actually not a great person, but this always stuck with me. Uh, he called himself a recovering Baptist, which uh, yeah, kind of fits, kind of fits oh, with yeah. the Catholic thing too. Yeah, the trauma that I yeah, both of us we were, we were bonded by our trauma. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. None of our parents were at our wedding. Hey, yeah. <laughs> is, that too, uh, is that too serious for like a minute into the podcast? Not at all. Not I'm an open all, book. Man. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're an open book here. As much as you want to be an open book here yeah. as well. Uh, so you said you're from Tennessee. Where are you now? I am in uh, Queens, uh, New York City, as yes. uh, as far away as almost as you can get in Queens near JFK. Oh dang! Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, which sucks, but you know, we have a three bedroom with a backyard, and you know, you don't get that in New York City. No, uh, especially for what we could afford, which we could afford this because we knew that it had sat empty on the first floor for like two years, and so we were like, hey. Don't raise our rent. We'll just move down. So we, yeah, we like are getting this for a lot cheaper. Oh, that's you gotta, killer. You man. gotta, you gotta work those deals in New York City. Oh, totally. And also, uh, like, no, like, no commute for the most part, as long as you're in one of the boroughs, is that bad? It's all forty-five minutes. Like, I've yeah. always, I've always, no matter where I've lived in Queens, been forty-five minutes away from work. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. Like, I, I lived in Bushwick and worked on the LES and. Yeah, it was like a half hour, but yeah. dude, driving in Atlanta traffic is like hour and a half to go four miles. No, thank you. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take the thirty minutes sitting on the train listening to music and reading a book. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Uh, yeah, what uh, coming from the south, like what what do people wear kind of around you while you were growing up? What what 
what kind of like stuff influenced your uh, your clothing outlook? Well, I think like so when I was a little kid, I mean, God, I'm just thinking about everyone in my. I have a sister who's 12 years older than me, and then my parents. Um, uh, also, who, side question: How old are you? Oh, I'm 38, and so okay, my sister 30. is and. Uh, and so, but I don't have old parents. My parents were 30 when they had me. My mom had my sister young. So this is gotcha. just like a weird biography now. <laughs> no. Um, so they, they were all on softball teams, like church softball teams. So I, I'm just like picturing like the bike, not bike shorts, but like bike the brand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like those shorts <laughs> and stuff. Like that's what my like parents and all that will wear. But I think my grandfather is the the one who I probably inherited this from, which I mean, I have a complicated relationship with my grandfather since he was a man born in, I'm assuming the 1920s in rural Tennessee. He had a lot of the views that you would expect yeah. that to come with. Yeah. Um, and was also just uh, kind of really mean to all the grandkids, but uh, to his friends, which is what I found out at his funeral when I was a senior in high school, was like, oh, to his friends, he was the cut-up and the practical joker, and he had a closet. Him and my grandmother, for one thing, were a, like, Southern Baptist uh, gospel singing duo. Oh! And they would, like, go to churches and sing together. I have uh, their album. I That's brought cool. that home with me last time I went to Tennessee. And they were also an Eastern Star, which is like a... I think it's like the co-ed Masons. It's like the Masons, but men and women are in it. Okay. It's both of yeah. them. And so their entire life was doing Mason events and like traveling all over the country, just going to lodge meetings. And these things were formal events in like the 70s. And so my grandfather just had a collection of insane tuxedos. <laughs> uh, and I'm saying like insane even by 1970s standards. Because... <laughs> When I, like, point out men who I think look good in the 70s, I think, like, the thought could be, well, everyone dressed like that. You just like wide lapels or something. But I have to point out, like, no, my grandfather had a powder blue tux, a, like, lime green tux, a red, you know, like a maroon houndstooth with velvet lapels tuxedo. Oh, um, yeah. And I've, I've, I now have all the, uh, I have all the jackets. Most of the trousers didn't uh, make it. But yeah. I did. I did bring all the jackets up with me. Um, That's cool, man. In February yeah. when I came back. Um, so yeah, it's like he he inspired me in that way. Like looking at old uh, Christmas photos and him wearing like a tie and a vest at our Christmas, and it's like we are in your house. Why are you wearing that? Right. Um, but I mean, I didn't even really ever put that together until very recently that I was like, oh, that might be part of where this comes from. Dude, I, th oh. I feel like that's kind of how it goes, though. Yeah. Like, you don't, you know, you you want to be different from your surroundings as a young person. And then you're 38 or, or whatever in your 30s. <laughs> like, you've got experience and you're like, oh, like, I look back on this and that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, my, I got into clothes really. Well, I mean, I feel like. Huh. I don't know how I don't know how into clothes people are in high school, but I gave a shit about what I wore then too. Right. But I was <laughs> I was inspired by uh, Oz from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, Tony Slattery <laughs> from Whose Lines It Anyway, 
uh and weezer mikey welch yeah. and weezer um yeah. <laughs> uh that was my but like high uh, college i was in college from 2002 to 2006 which is garage rock revival right. and so right. or you know, indie sleaze as i've yeah. heard things called lately which <laughs> perfect so like the strokes and the hives and the white stripes and yeah yeah yeah's and interpol and like that was but then also mostly like the bands that inspired them um like squeeze and xtc and roxy music and uh bowie and etc et um the kinks oh my god the kinks so like that was my college was like college rock i was i had a radio state i had a radio show you know so i was me and my friends when we would go to shows it was always like competing to be like you know who could be the most dressed up <laughs> right right um <sighs> which for us dressed up was like looking like we were contestants on a game show network show from 1971 so i had a lot of interesting things <laughs> hell yeah that's the, that that might be one of the best like answers to that question that we've gotten yet, if i'm being totally honest you hit yeah. a lot of points especially because well, we're similar age yeah but it was very thorough you like obviously have thought about it so yeah i mean it's like yeah because i came up it was funny when my took my husband to tennessee for the first time to meet all my friends and then when, when like we hung out and then we got alone he was like okay yeah they're all like you okay because nice. <laughs> i mean yeah. up here in new york i'm like oh you know i've been plucked out of my context but they put me in like we all love thrift thrift stores we all love uh indie rock we all etc <laughs> hell yeah sure perfect uh so i wanted to at the beginning shout out the uncanny brettwhite.com style section which yeah. i think <laughs> is really amazing uh your website made it very easy to do research so <laughs> also great I was going to ask you, I assume you're dressed, right? Uh, yeah, I've worn two outfits today. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's what we like to hear. So if you want to run through them both, that's cool. If you want to only run through one, also cool. Up to you. I mean, I think this is where I can peel the curtain back on uh, the process behind the Instagram. In a way. <laughs> like, oh, uh, right, I just like, right. so like, I wake up in the morning and I mean, so like this morning I put on uh what am i'll go so some vintage uh cole Haan penny uh i uh, know um horse bit loafers i don't know what year they're from but i just wanted some bit loafers and got them on ebay uh black with gold uh metallic bits <laughs> bits i guess that's what they are uh and then mm -hmm. some uh purple sheer socks which uh, every time i post a photo of myself wearing sheer socks i feel the need to like put in a caption I understand that some of you are attracted to this. You do not have to tell me. It is so oh like it is so wild. It is un unhinged, unchecked. It is just like they want you to know. Like it yeah. is, I'm like, I get it, I get it, but I yeah. just wear these because they're nice socks. At, uh, at one so point, anyway. it's flattering, but also and then it just, just gets very it's like weird. we get it, we get it. This is the tenth time you posted this, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then, and then some. Oh god, where did the oh the Spear McKay like uh, gray trousers with uh, like I think it's like a light blue window pane pattern, and then a proper cloth pink uh, button down or button up with uh, that's also another Spear uh, navy double breasted. Uh, jacket that I cannot close. Hey, <laughs> hey I me neither. Too big. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> and then a um, 
Oh, a uh, a kerchief that a black and gold kerchief that I bought from uh, Bal Baltzar, whatever that Swedish uh, store is. Um, and then my Warby Parker glasses. Uh, yeah, so I like I'll get dressed and then I will take photos in my office or outside maybe, and then I'll wear that until like noon. Um, <laughs> right. Usually, usually I wear I stay dressed up until something I just get so angry at work or something like something just like sets me off and i'm like okay i'm just getting out of this and so then i put on my leisure outfit which is just like bomba socks uh levi levi probably five tens they're slim fit but they're only but like they don't fit me on slim fit because my legs are so tiny <laughs> i'm a short person so it's like i have to get slim fit just so they will actually like fit me uh, right, yeah, yeah. And then a, I have a spear uh, linen uh, field jacket and uh, my uh, Possession uh, black t-shirt. Uh, Possession, the 1981 uh, Isabella Johnny and Sam Neill uh, horror movie that is infamous and streaming on Shudder if you want to get, if you want to see something real fucked up. <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, you heard it here. Honestly, yeah. it sounds like, uh, and we've talked about this on the show before, but it sounds like your leisure quote unquote outfit is probably like more thought out or, or at least like cohesive than yeah. 99% of the population on a yeah, daily I mean, basis. My husband's just worn sweat, like sweatpants. Well, like nice sweat, like just nice sweatpants and, and, and hoodies. Uh, I'm not trying to drag him or nothing. Of course. Uh, not. Of course. He's not going to listen. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> But it's because, like, he he just hasn't left the house, and now that he has, he's actually worked going to the office two days a week. He's been buying a lot of clothes and like putting outfits together, which is adorable. Uh, and and so, like, my like during pandemic, my work from home was like suit. Like, I was just like, this is how I distract myself and make myself feel good. So, oh, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, when did you um, start writing professionally? <laughs> Uh, it kind of happened. I th I always say 2008. Um, so this is my 15 year. Uh, but I went to school at MTSU for <laughs> yeah. What what a life. No, um, seriously, writing for 15 years professionally that's a big deal. Both of my parents are writers. I yeah, think, yeah, that's a, that's uh, a big deal. So wants to reward me with a literary agent. This is the first of many times I will be begging for one during this. Now, um, sure. uh, I went to school for. Long. <laughs> I went to school for TV production, and then I just didn't ever use that degree, uh, which is, I don't know, that's how that, how that goes. Um, yeah. But in 2008, I got a job at Wizard Magazine, which I think if you grew up in the 90s and liked comic books, you read Wizard. It was the the magazine. It was the only magazine that was just about comic books during the boom era. But I got a job there in the conventions department and i was put in charge of like writing stuff for the conventions website like interviewing create we book a creator then i would interview them and etc and i even over my year there got to publish in the magazine which was cool and then so like just from that one year at that one job i've made lifelong friends because it was kind of like i always I now say I'm glad Fire Festival happened because I can now point to something and be like, it was like working at Fire Festival. <laughs> that, that, is what, that is what Wizard Magazine was like. It was wild. And I did not sign the NDA. I did not take a severance because I wanted to be able to talk about it. 
Oh, totally. Because I was like, no, I'm not taking a week's pay for this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But from that one job, like I've made lifelong friends who all work at Marvel and DC and Dark Horse and just I am super connected in the comic book realm. And so from that, I got into comic book journalism, which is a scam. I tell interns, uh, if you are interested in writing about comic books uh, from a news perspective, get paid. <laughs> get paid. Wow. $40 an article is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... Well, it's like uh, there are tons of kind of clothing or fashion writing quote unquote opportunities that exist mm. that are the same deal basically it's like we'll give you fucking ten dollars fifteen dollars write this write six pieces for us absolutely not no but i mean yeah. like the when you're so like when i started doing that that was 20 probably like 2010 um 2010 2011 is like when i really started doing like online journalism and well i don't really call what i do journalism it's writing uh, whatever that's that's an existential question um but uh th- that's when i started doing that and at that time it was like ooh, 40 bucks for you know for something okay great um and it wasn't until i started talking to people that work in the tv like writing about television and movies i was like oh we're getting screwed right <laughs> his comics is like the lowest of the it's like the lowest on the rung of importance in pop culture so <laughs> they don't pay a lot why yeah. do you think that is I mean, well, a lot of it is, I think, you know, a lot of uh, demand to write about this stuff. Writing about this stuff feels like a treat. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like work because I love it. And so, like, you get so hyped up on the coolness of it that you don't like take a step back and be like, but objectively, I am putting in X amount of hours. And in order to live, I need Y amount of money. You're you're so like I got to talk to Chris Claremont on my first day at Wizard. Oh my God! Like you just like that. <laughs> you know, like right. I'm going to C two E two for free. That's great. But like while I'm here, I'm only getting forty bucks for covering a panel. Like you know, so you just kind of just like don't even really pay attention to it. And also, I mean, I was young. Like that was what I was doing in my twenties. And so I think also, the older you get, it gets to be a little bit more like uh i need adult money please (laughs) yeah you you kind of like figure out that oh what i've been doing is basically undervaluing myself like i'm worth x amount and like that is the thing that uh comes with both getting older but also i think that that's like not a conversation that people under a certain age have really like had yeah much yeah or sorry over a certain age like you know, we're I'm 39. You're 38. Connor's uh, what? Sorry, 32. Connor. 32. It's okay. Like <laughs> these conversations didn't happen in the 90s and early 2000s. Like no, yeah, oh, even, being... even in the 90s, insanely, they did not happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it, it's cool that you have you know you came from that perspective, and now you're like, yeah, you you gotta value me. Yeah. To buy my time, <laughs> essentially. Well, and I, it's also like realizing what you're good at. And I'm like, like specifically like when WandaVision happened at my job, I mean, I, which I am full-time salary benefits. Like this is a job job. I mean, I feel like it's one of the rare uh, writing about television and have, but like when sure. WandaVision happened, it's like, oh, this is a show that's specifically about classic sitcoms and Marvel superheroes. You mean right. the two things that I've dedicated my life to my office is literally one wall is all old sitcoms and the other wall is all comic books. 
which uh-huh. when I interviewed the showrunner, yeah, the showrunner, I like showed her. It's like, here's my office. And she was like, oh my God. So it's one of those, like, I am a unicorn for covering this. So you bet you like, you're lucky that you guys had me for this. Right, right. Yeah. If they wanted the most like knowledgeable kind of person, you are the the man for the job. Yeah. (laughs) So is that how you got to be where you are? Like you love all of this stuff and now you are writing about it. That seems like uh, an uncommon journey. Yeah, it's it is that's pretty much it cuz every every job I've gotten in this realm is all knowing someone. Yeah. It's all like the network and, king. Yeah, and that all came from me just working at Wizard for a year because even people that left Wizard before me, I now like know and am friends with because we all, you know, suffered the same amount every thursday someone's getting fired you know (laughs) like that um and if they skip weeks then it's like it's like a bake-off where like we skipped a week so this week two people getting fired (laughs) that was a fun year of my life i made it to the final two of my department though so i am pretty proud of that (laughs) wow yeah wow (laughs) the top two solid Um, yeah uh so yeah like that's where i i've kind of just like you know i moved from uh uh, wizard to uh, the robots voice from village voice. And then I went to MTV splash page or I was editor for there for almost a year. And then from there was CBR and marvel.com uh, now uh, decider. So yeah, I mean like I, it's been kind of a, you know, just knowing people and making my way and making a little bit more money, a little bit more money until finally getting a full time job. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that sounds like a very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just like insanely good path as far as yeah. uh, like, you, like every, everything that came after thing before it, you're like, okay, cool. Like bigger, 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 bigger. And now you're here. Yeah. And now, yeah, now, I mean, I'm a member of the Television Critics Association. I got to go to uh, Pasadena to the conference in uh, last month, which was, like, fun and gave me a reason to dress up. Yeah, you're, totally. a blue, you're a blue check. Yes. Yeah. You are. Which is, which is wild because, like, that is back in 20, when, 2017 when they were like, if you just work on a media corporation, you can get one. And so, like, I, like, squeaked in, I think on Instagram especially, like, I squeaked in. Uh, in the last wave of them doing that because now I cover Netflix reality shows a lot and a lot of them will DM me being like, how do you have this? I'm on a, I'm on a Netflix show and I don't, I can't figure it out. I'm like, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm not that important. I'm not. Oh, well. <laughs> the good luck continues. It yeah. does. No, it until Elon Musk takes my my scam of a check away on Twitter. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. At least right. you're not paying eight ninety nine or no. whatever Twitter yeah. blue is. So. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, uh, so what was the first piece that you uh, were really proud of writing? I think, I mean, I'm trying to think if it was anything at CBR. I know I, well, when I was at CBR, when I was actually there on, salary ish i was guaranteed 40 hours a week for uh, uh, 25 dollars an hour i'll just say it i don't care 
uh, he doesn't own the company anymore, so it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, because I was like, I live in New York and you require me to go to red carpets and premieres and stuff. So I have to be paid a wage that allows me to live in New York and do all the things that you want me to do. Right. And so, yeah. Um, but like when I was there and since I was hourly, I was I actually had this time to do like really crazy stuff. Like I wrote the entire history of the X-Men villain uh, Exodus. Um, who was, I mean, he's not obscure anymore, but he was pretty obscure then. Uh, and I just like, I bought all of his issues and then I like actually put together like a timeline. I did that for the brotherhood of, no, I did that for the hellfire club as well. Um, like I would just do these really intense, like research dives. And I, I was always really proud of doing those. And then the instant that the company sold and the new people were like, you get paid per article. It's like, well, I'm not going to spend uh, a week working on this one thing. So bye-bye to in-depth, uh, you know, archival study stuff. Uh, oh, but well, yeah, then like I, more stuff at Decider. I, I've, I've done uh, cooler things since then, I, I would say. But yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff at CBR was always, was always fun. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's like an early incarnation of what you see yourself as. Yeah, and yeah, that. So now you're working on a book um, about Hayden Rourke. Yes, which I mean, gold star is to literally anyone who knows who he is. I so I <laughs> if you watched I Dream of Genie, you know who I know him from I Dream of Genie. Yeah, had the... zero idea what his name was uh, or his story. <laughs> before to this but uh, i i grew up on a lot of classic television so yeah yeah you know it it was just like oh this is a really interesting topic for a book and yeah we'd love to take or love for you to tell us a little bit about it yeah like i for my podcast must have seen tv which is every episode we do an episode of television from before the year 2000 or in a sitcom specifically and in Pride Month 2019, I think, I always wanted to, like, you know, highlight all the, you know, queer people that worked on all these old sitcoms because a lot of them, like, their stories aren't told because they were queer in 1960. So, right, right. Whoop, whoop, you know, and, and I discovered that Hayden, uh, Dr. Bellows and I Dream of Jeannie, the old guy who was always, like, trying to catch Major Nelson in the act, um... It always misses seeing Jeannie. Right. Uh, I found out that he was gay. And then, so like a year later in 2020, and so like, you know, I made like a little image of like, Aiden Rourke, well, you know, sent that out on Twitter. And then in 2020, pandemic year, for that month, I was like, okay, well, I am instead for Pride Month, I'm going to try to do like hastily assembled, uh, you must remember this style like storytelling episodes where I like uh, yeah, would choose, yeah. I would choose a gay and then I would just like do an afternoon of Googling and Google sleuthing my favorite thing. Um, and then, you know, have a little, little drink and then <laughs> get on and just tell <laughs> their story. And when I was done and I was like telling my husband about Hayden's story, he was like, this is a book. Like you're clearly passionate about this. And I was like, Oh yeah. And I, and I had just literally been like, I'm never going to write a book. It's way too hard. Um, but like, so I discovered his story of like born in 1910 by World War II. So he meets his partner, Justice Addis, in the mid 30s. I do believe there's like, I don't know how they met. I have like three different theories um, based on where I know they were uh, at different times. 
Um, one of them might have been at a summer camp when he was a counselor and Justice was a student. Uh, not their age difference is not the uh, creepy. Justice <laughs> but, Addis, Justice Addis. I'm sorry, I had a I had a question in here just so that we could get the name out there because what yes. an amazing name. Well, and there's also a, so he the was third. Justice Addis the third, and then there right. are two four speak like i the family tree is wild and it's honestly worth its own book um but so like they met they went to the army together and in 1942 when you register for the army and if you had literally any type of theater or broadway experience they would just send you to new york to work with irving berlin because irving berlin was resurrecting his all all army like all soldier review show so this isn't uso where they would take like jack benny or you know um bob hope and like show him off to soldiers and stuff these are like no these are soldiers it's like fubu fight for us by us it's you know for soldiers by soldiers you know right right um and so like you would go and you would go through basic training and everything but your job in the army and you got ranks and whatnot was to do this is the army which was the song and dance uh review show that ran on broadway and then after it did broadway it did an american tour they made a movie starring Ronald Reagan. And then in 1943, they went international and they toured the entire world. Um, and so Hayden and Jess were like the stage managers and were like in uh, Egypt and uh, Iran and uh, Italy and Singapore and just all over the place. And what is fascinating is a lot of these soldiers were, of course, gay. And drag was a huge part of this. Uh, these soldiers dressed in drag for Uncle Sam to entertain other soldiers, and no one had a problem with it, Republicans. Um, but <laughs> and I don't know if anyone knows uh, Burl Ives, uh, everyone's favorite uh, claymation snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? yeah. uh, was in This is the Army and did a drag number on Broadway. So, nice. Yeah, nice. so like... So yeah, like I, I discovered all this stuff. And then after that, he then, him and Justice then took Lucille Ball out on her very first uh, stage tour. Like she'd always done movies and she was like, I want to do a play. They So they did this play, Dream Girl, that is a super intense, uh, she's on stage the entire time, multiple costume changes, multiple different characters. Uh, and, and it's a comedy. And at the time she'd never done comedy. And so Justice Addis directed her in her first ever comedy thing, and Hayden was her co-star. And this is the part of Lucille Ball's story that everyone always skips over. But I've done the research, and I've actually found proof that, like, she wanted to do this play and viewed it as her ticket to being seen as a comedian. Lucille Ball. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know? Like that. And And then through, like getting they bought a house together in the 1950s which gay couples did not do so they and they uh lived there until just died in 79 i dream of genie is a crazy like set because larry Hagman was i mean his mother is mary martin who's like a broadway legend and so he kind of grew up like very well off and also by the time uh genie happens he's very into like lsd and counterculture (laughs) (laughs) and is always on something and also thinks he's better than genie and and so like hayden was this like mediating force and what is beautiful is like hayden was always out and everyone always knew he was gay the cast would go over to his house um just would be there they would serve them drinks they would have parties like it's the story of a gay couple who were out in world war ii touring with lucille ball old hollywood mccarthy era 
right. uh, I Dream of Genie, the 1970s. And they were never, and both of their families knew. Like, and that's also, cra- and their families were crazy Catholic, like super, super Catholic and didn't have a problem with it. Um, so it is like this little anachronistic uh, gay love story that goes against everything we assume of like, you know, progression, acceptance and tolerance moves in a straight, pun intended, line. Right. <laughs> um, and like, you know, right now we're the most tolerant we've ever been, which... <laughs> That was a part of my pitch for this book, and man, now not right. Right, <laughs> yeah. Oh, times. Um, but yeah, to change that in the pitch. But yeah, but like this proves that, like, man, if if like if Justice Addis's uh, stepmother would let them sleep in the same bed in the same bedroom with one bed in it in the 1950s and 60s, then like parents today have no reason, like. This is 70 years ago and people were fine with this. Totally. Like, um, so yeah. Yeah, and it's been great. And I've I've interviewed a ton of people. I've done a ton. I've been working on this for two and a half years. I've written 50,000 words, uh, literary agents or anyone that might know a literary agent that wants Hell to talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hell yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a labor of of uh of of love that I want to finish. <laughs> I feel like there's no way someone isn't going to pick this up. Yeah. Well, like one of the things that I I really point out is like gay history. Like I don't I don't care that he isn't an A list person that everyone knows. I'm like the gay history has been robbed from us via AIDS and also the closet and bigotry, right. and you have to tell every single you know gay story because. We just tell Rock Hudson and Paul Lind's over and over and over. Right. And right. I love Paul Lind. I love Charles Nelson Riley. Uh, but like Hayden's story is just as important because it is a different story. It's a story unlike any that we've heard. And and the fact that I actually so like after Just died in seventy nine, Hayden um, had a second long term partner from nineteen eighty to when he passed in nineteen eighty seven, who I now know and am like friends with and have had like lunch with, who lives in New York, not that far from me. Uh, and, and no one knows about that story. Like, no, cause you know, no one ever wrote about Hayden. No one ever wrote about him being gay. Right. Um, but now like I have, it was why, like when I, this is how like crazy it is. Like I've been working on the book for probably like six months when I accidentally stumbled across this guy and he was, and I was, when he said like, oh no, like uh, we were a couple. And I was like, can you please just answer was Hayden Rourke gay and he was like yes he was absolutely gay and it's like that basic thing of like you have to infer a lot with history because gay men wouldn't say in the 1960s 70s I'm a homosexual it's all like well you know he would live with a man and uh never married so you gotta infer you know it's just like like you journalistic integrity of like you want to have like you know the facts and with a lot of these, you know, queer history stories, you're never going to know a lot of the facts because everyone's dead. And that's one reason why I was like, I have to tell Hayden's story because Barbara Eden's the only person left from Jeannie who's alive. And so I have interviewed her, uh, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's very, I'm very uh, passionate about it. And I also have 130 uh, photos of them from World War II that have never been seen before. Oh, wow. Uh, and like gay soldiers doing the can-can in the sands of Persia, like... 
wild just it's really it's yeah it's just wild fun uh like them posing nude at like the ruins of rome like acting like uh roman statues and i'm like man like even with 1943 cameras people were still like taking stupid photos oh absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah i i will say this has been a great pitch to read this book just you know the the passion that you put into it and oh yeah yeah, just like the whole thing, man. It's just really, really cool to hear. And he was a very snazzy dresser. Very oh, like, absolutely. Like specifically, um, his partner, when we met up for the first time, uh, he brought, he was like, oh, I was going through my storage unit and I found these old things from Hayden's. And it was a pocket square and a Speedo. Wow. And so I have one of Hayden's swimsuits and a pocket square. That's and amazing. I was like, That's wild. <laughs> Wow. So you describe Hayden as part of the gay TV tapestry. We wanted to talk about another gay TV icon, Brian Batt, who played Sal Romano in Mad Men. When you first saw Mad Men, did you include him in the Pantheon? Um, I was kind of surprised that they, like, when we were talking about this show, like, I was a little surprised to find out that he was gay. Because yeah. I didn't think that they cast gay people for the most part. It is surprising. Because In 2007? That, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Especially him being out gay. It is actually crazy how much things like really change from like 2007 to 2017. Like actually a oh, lot. Yeah. Of, like I thought like a lot of progress had been made between 97 and 07, but a lot made between 07 and 17. Um Huge. But like my like honestly like my Mad Men uh, men or style icons were always Harry Crane and Lane Price. <laughs> okay, solid, solid. Yeah, <laughs> it just says, yeah. Especially Hollywood era. As soon as Harry starts working in television, they start shipping him out to California to Hollywood. Oh, God. He comes back and he's wearing like mustard colored jackets and huge kerchiefs, and I'm like, this is it. Those sideburns and big glasses. <laughs> Yeah, we, Connor and I have talked Mad Men a lot because I think that, like, all, I mean, all three of us seem to be around, yeah, like that time period and age where you're just like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And, oh, like, yeah, I go back and rewatch it all the time. Um, but yeah, the Christmas episode where they have the party in the office and they have to, like, really uh, please the gay cowboy, like, right, but like that, that every year when I watch that. And they have just like the the office party, and it's like Christina Hendricks like leading the conga line through the office. And I'm like, for all of these people, for a lot of these people, they're just Hollywood extras. And right. this day, they got to go put on period appropriate clothing, and have a Christmas party at Sterling Cooper Draper Price, and do a conga line with Christina Hendricks. Right. <laughs> like, I think that might be like the most perfect day of work ever. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> So, so kind of continuing this this theme, um, like since the dawn of like internet hashtag menswear, whatever, you know the the internet culture that we're kind of in and kind of all three come from. Uh, people like Marlon Brando and James Dean, who very on uh, on the record being. At least by yeah 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 um, if you know who's to say it but like how how do you kind of like see these people that are that 
were worshipped as style gods uh, in the year 2023. I mean, I Cary Grant is the one that I'm like so proud of because Cary Grant also, at least bisexual, maybe full on gay. Who knows? Right, right. Um, but it's just like those guys. I'm like, it makes me so. Uh, I mean, it, 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 I was like, oh yeah, we got one. It's kind of this because right. I will say, like, when I started getting more into menswear, like circles and whatnot, you know, just from like outside reputation, because I didn't really start listening to the podcast and stuff until like 2017, and like at that point, like I already knew Roger Stone was a person, you know, like I knew like. There was, there's a weird, there's a unfortunate correlation between man who cares about what he looks like also might help in a re- insurrection, you know, like right. it, there's, there, so, and just coming from the South where everyone over the age of 40 was just conservative, period. They're a Republican. I have like an ingrained, like, you know, listening, keeping an ear open to be like, is it okay if this person knows I'm gay? Right. So like that all kind of ties together. And so it was always like, easing in and like i don't really i honestly like don't know that many like gay men in like the classic menswear realm either i know a handful we are you know we dm we know who we are we know who we are we commiserate or whatever but like it is overwhelmingly i think like straight and so when we have these guys i'm like yeah you love cary grant yeah, yeah, he's definitely a uh, flamer or whatever, you know, like, yes, I got one. Uh, and I also like, and I, I like that, you know, it, it, uh, I do think it is very important. That's why I think like representation of being vocal about things is important because like, if you're a homophobe and you fucking love James Dean, you love how he dresses, you love, you know, all of his <laughs> movies. And then you find out that he's bisexual. That's going to do some sort of reckoning in your brain. Totally. Either you're going to just like double down on homophobia and be like, well, I can't look at his face again. Or maybe you're going to be like, oh, God, the man I think is the most macho man in the world also likes having sex with men. Oh, God. Okay. I guess, you know, good for Brando, good for uh, me to appreciate, but not partake in, you know? <laughs> certainly, certainly. So, so, yeah, I think that like things like that are good for uh, representation, which is also, I mean, that's why I'm, uh, I, that's why I'm very vocal. I think uh, loud on online. <laughs> yeah, we we noticed a, a quote. I think it was one of your uh, Instagram captions, um, but essentially the the uh, message of it was like that being gay can coexist fabulously with masculinity. And oh like, yeah, there's a lot of noise about societal pressures and whatnot. Um, you know you, that you can't be masculine and gay. Yeah. Um, yeah. How how do you you know how how do you approach that? How do you express that in, well, in your like, kind of all day? Yeah, like menswear really has helped me uh, square a lot of that stuff away because you know growing up, especially growing up in the South, uh, like I spent my twenties like just dressing like a stroke, you know, just like okay, <laughs> jeans, a corduroy blazer, a jean jacket, you know. Uh, children's uh, polo shirts back when I can actually wear like a child's extra large. Oh yeah, no longer. Yeah, (laughs) but like you know, just because it was just like that was just all I had. I didn't think that you know because when I saw men, masculine like male identifying you know assigned male at birth people, they were always just wearing like shitty khakis and like they're like you're either wearing 
jeans and a t-shirt or khakis and a polo never anything more complicated etc and so like i didn't really understand there could be anything else and it wasn't until i like started it wasn't until i started like actually investigating menswear and stuff and seeing like oh no you i could wear literally anything i want like you know turtlenecks high-waisted pants double-breasted suits i mean ascots and neckerchiefs have always been my thing uh and also like realizing like looking at those photos of like hayden and then also like paul lind and charles nelson riley especially uh and seeing like no like this like when i dress up like you know other people might think i'm copying like a milady type guy but no i'm trying to take that back for Paul Lind, who also wore hats, damn it. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and so, like, and I, I think I, at times, have described my style as, like, either, like, take really, like, take gay clothes and make them more masculine or take masculine clothes and make them more gay. Like, that's, those are the two arenas that I like to operate in. Like, yeah. I mean, even, like, to, yeah. Me like too. today wearing yeah. purple socks and a pink shirt that's why man when i don't visit like the facebook groups and the reddits and whatnot but when i hear tell of the men who were just like a man doesn't wear color or just right like, right <laughs> or they, it's unbecoming to mix patterns or all that like stuff and i i just like i'm like god chill man like yeah i'm trying to clear it up you know yeah like, if i'm like, wearing a sport so... coat like it's not gonna be like that anyway yeah it's just like just have fun like i don't know there is i don't i don't i don't understand the like i personally don't understand the the checklist style of dressing where it's like well i like this not even just ivy i like specific like you know wisconsin 1982 ivy that is what yeah. I like. <laughs> yeah so i will make sure that i have the correct shirt and trousers and shoot like i don't understand i mean you know i will not uh clock anyone if you if that is what get if you love that fucking go off have fun right. i personally i personally like don't you know i don't really care about that i, don't I know. mean I, it, I... <laughs> it can almost become cosplay like i understand that people yeah. enjoy it i have my quirks that i yeah. only like um but yeah the there's never been a checklist there's never been a i have to have this this and this to complete this look and i also like i'm not even like a brand i don't really i don't care where i get anything it's like because like so like both of my you know uh custom suits are both from suit supply but i don't think anyone would ever recognize them as suit supply suits because no. i have them no may like i, I no, went there i found a, that's a question we we're gonna ask yeah like i remember somebody asked you where you got your glasses and you were like warby parker and there was like sort of a wince but like uh it doesn't fucking matter where it is from if it looks good yeah. right i mean to, if, an if extent, it looks good. to an extent to an extent well it's like as long extent. as they aren't like unethical <laughs> but i mean yeah like, that's no, what i mean that's capitalism what I mean. but yeah. you know we're you all trying, trying to get, get stuff by. made by adults yeah yeah <laughs> but like when i wanted to get my first ever like uh, well <laughs> the story of my first uh my green suit is uh funny i don't know like i I was like, I bought a suit supply suit in like 2008 or nine, just like a gray basic ass suit. And I just like had went there and had tried one off the rack and then they just like altered it. 
And so I made an appointment. I like, okay, I want to make an appointment. And I like looked at all the, I went to the, like, I want to go to this store. So I, I looked at all the profiles of all the like sales associates, like all the like, um, you know, tailors, the, the assistants or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, and, I, and I then, of course, found them on Instagram. Just like did, but like did the due diligence to be like, do I like this person's, is this person's taste aligned with mine? You know, like, which I think is like a good way of doing that so that, you know, like you're going in and you're not going to have to argue with like, no, I do want white socks. <coughs> like, no, because <laughs> like they wear them. So, you know, they like them. And I found uh, Josh Cooper, who now works at the uh, Armory in New York. Uh, sure. And, I, yep. and I went in and I thought that I was uh, I thought that I was going to do the same thing of like take one off the rack and then like and I had accidentally booked an appointment with like the mate to measure the like whole cloth like we're going to take all your measurements we're going to get fabric and that isn't available off the rack and now and now it's like oh this is almost three times as expensive as what i would but i was like well let's go for it <laughs> and i just but like i'm glad i did because like the shade of green i wanted to get a green double-breasted suit and the kind that i was gonna buy off the rack was a winter fabric and josh was like well here's that exact same shade but it is in a summer like year-round fabric which to me is like well that's worth my money because i can wear that all year <laughs> and and yeah and it was like such a it was such a fun experience and it is totally worth the money because it is just cool to ha- be able to ask someone questions and talk about this stuff and like ask like because i would like why do why a hand stitched buttonhole on the lapel you know like <laughs> like that kind of fun stuff, you know? Uh like what what is the perk of like a two pleat or a one pleat, you know? And and I don't know, yeah, it's just a really, really fun experience. I mean that it's like going to a spa or something for me. You're treating yourself. Yes, it's very treat yourself two thousand that was two thousand sixteen. I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also so, feel like some people no, maybe no. don't oh sorry. I I just no, wanted no, to no, add no. Um, I also feel like a lot of people, if you're on the streets of New York City, you see that suit and you're like, damn, that's a good suit. No one is wearing that kind of suit all the time. Yeah. And it's like, oh, who cares if it's from Suit Supply? Nobody gives a shit anyway. <laughs> yeah. And and I think like, and so like, I mean, Suit Supply just in general, like it is wild being a gay man going into this store and there are just like the advertising of suit supply is just wild yeah it's just like men in like very nice suits but they were like naked women like blowing like bubblegum bubbles into their face or something weird you know and i'm just like what yeah. is this like doc this charney is... doc charney yeah yeah it's very like yeah american apparel grew up you know right <laughs> yeah um <laughs> not my vibe so, sort of closing out here, we were going to ask you how you got into drag. Oh yeah, that I I am the uh, only menswear drag queen. Are you? <laughs> you should trade. I don't trademark, know. Trademark that shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, and uh, it's like I'll be specific. Like I'm not a menswear drag queen, but I think I might be the only menswear enthusiast who is also a drag queen. <laughs> so, right. So, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, like, I love Ru- RuPaul's Drag Race, and, like, that's one of my main uh, areas of expertise, and my one of my main beats at work is Drag Race. Oh, and right. uh, And I've, you know, been writing about it since, like, 2017 or so. 
And, and so like, it's always been like, and honestly, like, and this is like what I try to preach to people is before I started doing actual, like dressing as a woman drag, I consider my suits drag. I mean, like it's, I personally believe anytime you put on literally any garment of clothing, knowing that another human being is going to lay eyes on it, that is a form of drag because all drag True. is, is using clothes to tell a story, to tell, you know, to, to project something. And anytime you put on literally anything, you're projecting something <laughs> onto someone. And so like every time I would interview drag queens at work, I would always go to work wearing, you know, a suit, my pinky ring, my watch, my ID bracelet, you know, pocket square, lapel pin. Like I would go all out because I'm like, they're coming here in full drag. I should not show up in a t-shirt and jeans, you know? Absolutely. I, it's like, and they, yeah. And like, they always appreciated the effort of like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it took me, you know, 30 minutes to put on this, all this on. And now I know that it took you about three hours to put all that on. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't, I honestly like never, I was like, I will obviously never do drag because it is uh, very hard. Um, and it wasn't until uh, last June when I was in Palm Springs, uh, we were on a vacation in Palm Springs. And the Friday of that vacation is when they overturned Roe v. Wade. And uh, I remember I was like, I was just like, oh, cool. So, I mean, who knows how much longer I'm married? Like, you know, who knows? everything is this is fucking wild and i just was like i'm doing drag when we get back to tennessee i am going to be a drag queen i'm doing it uh and i immediately like that night dm'd one of my uh close friends from high school i dm'd uh him because he's a drag queen in chicago mini pearl necklace uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and i was like what corsets do you did you get how what padding like how do like how do i figure out my bra size <laughs> like it's just everything and he was like, give, he was so excited, give me all the information, like makeup tutorials, et cetera. And so like, and the more I thought about it, I was like, this is perfect. This is what kind of what I was born to do in a wild way. Specifically because like, I want everyone in Tennessee who knows me to now know a drag queen. Uh, because odds are they don't. Like I'm in New York, I know drag queens my parents don't know any drag queens, you know, my old teachers or my old high school, like classmates, drag queens are under attack then. And, and well, now it is, uh, it'll be a felony soon in Tennessee to do it in front of people under 18. Uh, and I wanted to be like, now, you know, a drag queen, you know, me, right. I am a drag queen. Right. Uh, and then, so yeah, that was like eight, eight or nine months ago. Um, and and just yeah, like the more I've done it and committed to it, the more like liberating and uh, perfect uh, it is. Like it is amazing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> drag, I, I can, drag, yeah. liberating and perfect. It is. And I, no, I, mean, I'm, I also, just, I'm asking. I'm, I just want to get. I'm typing the quote. I want to get it right. Oh I my think, god! I think that that's. Uh, I think that that's great. I mean. <clears throat> It is, it is wild how, like, I mean, it is a lot. Like, it takes me a probably, takes me probably about 90 minutes to put on the makeup. And then it probably takes me another 15 to 20 just to get on, like, all of the padding and the corset and the pantyhose. And then, like, another 15 to get on, like, the dress and all the, 
Like it is like a long ass, it is a long ass process. And it is wild to me that like wearing all of this clothing makes you feel um I mean RuPaul always says that drag reveals who you are. It doesn't hide who you are. And I now understand what that means. It does I don't know how to explain, but it is like when you are wearing that much stuff, it kind of gives you permission. I know I found that for me it gives me permission to act feminine in a way that I didn't even know I was repressing, which I think is like wild. Wow. Like, that I did not even, I did not even know that I was like monitoring, like how I hold my wrist or how I walk or how I <clears throat> say something. And it isn't until that I'm dressed like a woman that I realize, like, Oh, like, yeah, I just like uh, subconsciously, you know, have, learn like don't swing your hips when you walk it or just like things like that and it is so cool how freeing it is well I yeah can... i hear that at the school all the fucking time like they scream at the kids like don't uh, put your hands on your hip that's gay and oh my like, god yeah dude what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean that's five years old is what that is oh jesus yeah like that and that's exactly what i grew up in in tennessee <clears throat> and a lot of that like you know I would see this with my younger nephews of going out to a store and my, you know, parents or brother-in-law or relatives like grabbing a Barbie and being like, we're going to get you a Barbie for Christmas. <laughs> like, and, and just like that stuff is like, they don't mean anything by it. But what they don't understand is if my nephew is gay or ever questioned, like that is going to stick with him for Cause all that stuff stuck with me. Right. Or, ever <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah and it's all innocent stuff but it's like don't tease like kids about that stuff because you, you don't know life yeah like you might you be giving you might be giving them a wild a wild uh uh issue that they're gonna have to like go to therapy or do drag to work through um but then also just uh -huh. drag as therapy i like yeah, that. Drag, oh yeah dude, i was thinking it i'm glad that oh yeah oh my god oh yeah, yeah. I mean, also just, um, and we all love buying clothes and buying clothes is buying. Yeah. Drag is amazing. It's now like, it's, now so it's like doubly fun. Like, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's what my, maybe I've got a that... new, maybe I got a new hobby. Yes. I mean, like it is, it is really cool now. Like when I go into a store, I can look at both the men and women's sides, which is, I did, it's it's cool. Like, I mean, like it's like oh, I now I have like double the stuff to look at, especially like vintage shopping because that's you know that's Barb Barb Hardley's uh, aesthetic is sixties to late eighties. So yeah, yeah. That, that's you finding and and you know I mean I'm five six, one hundred and eighty pounds. So like I I I I'm still kind of in the range of I can find things. I'm not tall, yeah. which I think is a is a downfall of a lot of queens. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why heels were offended. So. Yeah, and oof, still uh, learning how to. Uh, <laughs> Not an easy task. Yeah, for sure. but it is. Yeah, it is. Well, and I think also like so. My Christmas special, which is a wild sentence that I can now say. Uh, I, made, <laughs> I made a very Barb Hardly Christmas, which is on YouTube. But I did a duet number, uh, Bing Crosby's Jingle Bells, which is him and the Andrews sisters, and I did a duet with myself. So it's like. Oh, like, like, kind of, I did it like the old Patty Duke show or, you know, the split screen where, you know, oh I didn't cross. Oh my God, like... I got And so, this. yeah. In one, I can't on, believe on... I didn't see it. <laughs> on one half, I'm wearing my tuxedo, my vintage tuxedo. 
with my waistcoat and my, you know, probably my pocket watch and, you know, jewelry and stuff. And on the other side, I'm wearing a gold, like sparkly, like mini dress and my blonde wig and like, and I'm duetting with myself. And it's like, it's, I like being able to bring in my menswear into my drag. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, this is amazing. This is amazing. I can't believe I didn't fucking see this. I'm watching the video right now. Yeah. It's like, as described, as described, both characters are breath. Which, yeah, which was, I had to do the drag part first and then not touch my phone and then get completely out of drag and then get into tuxedo drag, which, well, yeah, wow. it was a long night, but it was, uh, it's worth it. It's oh. a great bow tie. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Connor, you have to send that to me. So yeah, that is we're a... gonna put this. We're gonna put this shit up. We're putting a screenshot of this on the yes. uh, carousel for the episode for sure. This is fucking yeah. amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I yeah, it's a it's a super passion, and I'm really hoping I can perform more and actually get out into the world and not just do it in my office. Yeah. Good luck with it. Nice. Yeah. I've done it twice out in the world and it's uh, gone uh, amazingly. So Hell yes. Uh, <laughs> only up from here. Yeah. Uh, do, so I feel like we have to ask, do you do you find some connection between like the canon of people like Carrie Grant or Hayden Rourke that you uh, that you love and and respect and the drag portion of your life? Well, I mean, yeah, like yeah, when I get in drag, it also feels like because I have a photo of Hayden in drag uh, from World War Two. At the right, end, of, right. at the end of this is the army. They all in Hawaii got on the battleship and did just like a crazy show. And I have a photo of Hayden in drag from that. And you know, I have pictures of Paul Linden. Like when I got when I get in drag, I do feel a. I'm very into my gay forefathers and like knowing my, my history of, I mean, it is my culture. It is my people. Like it is totally. And, and it is a history that I love knowing and knowing that gay men like Hayden, you know, loved, love dressing up, love, had a huge wardrobe, kept everything you wore on genie. Um, and then also did drag or loved female impersonate. I have a photo of Hayden with Charles Pierce who was the most uh, most successful drag queen of the 20th century before RuPaul. So I have photos of Hayden with very close friends with Charles Pierce. Wow. And so I do feel it. I'll look in the mirror and just be like, I'm gay. Like I am a gay man. I am dressed like a woman. I am just like my gay forefathers. It, it feels, it feels very like uh, emotional, almost ceremonial, like this, this clothing. Uh and I, it's it's it is really cool. <laughs> and that's that's an amazing answer. Yeah, yeah. I think about all, but too much of a thinker. I think about everything. <laughs> uh, you know, where some of us have the curse. Yeah, it never stops. No, no. <laughs> uh, well, Brett, this has been a very fun and just I don't know, wonderful interview uh, overall, Thanks, I mean... and. Uh, yeah, we always like to give our guests a chance to shout things out. So have at it. Uh, yeah, uh, everyone can follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at, at Brett White. You can follow my drag account. I'm on tick, 
I'm on TikTok. I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, mainly because I wait until I'm in full drag and then I try to figure out TikTok. And it's not, I mean, drag isn't comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, you get you you would when you get the character it really does go away the pain of everything goes away and you're like really in it but like yeah so maybe i should figure it out when i'm not uh in drag um but yeah i'm on tiktok and instagram as at barb hardly b-a-r-b-h-a-r-d-l-y which is a play on uh bob hartley Bob Newhart's character from the Bob Newhart show. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and you can read my words at decider.com um, and listen to the podcast, Must Have Seen TV, which I host in drag. And there's a video. You can go to YouTube and see probably like uh, like two out of three episodes I'm in drag. Um, and it is, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun talking about 1950s television while dressed as a woman. <laughs> One hundred percent. That is one of the most you things based on this interview that I've ever heard. So, uh, well, thank you again, Brad. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. I am Matt Smith. And I'm Connor Fowler. Uh, at Apocalypse Studs on Instagram. Uh, Apocalypse Studs at gmail.com if you want to send us feedback. We kind of like it. Um... Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm at Rebels Rogues. Connor is at Connor Fowler. Fuck that one up. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And, Brett, thank you again. Thank y'all.